we know actually that probably the least effective way of helping people change is telling them what to do. And so what we've been doing at Henry is learning about what does help people to change those entrenched habits. Hi, my name is Rongan Chasti, GP, television presenter and author of the best-selling books The Stress Solution and The Four Pillar Plan. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people both within as well as outside the health space to hopefully inspire you as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier because when we feel better, we live more. Hello and welcome back to episode 78 of my Feel Better Live More podcast. My name is Rongan Chasji and I am your host. This is a special episode for World Obesity Day to support an amazing charity called Henry, which is doing phenomenal work in combating childhood obesity. The statistics look really gloomy. One in 10 children are obese when they start school and the odds are stacked against them. Only 1 in 20 children who start school obese will be a healthy weight when they leave primary school, but finally, there is a glimmer of hope. Have Henry found a solution to reverse the trends? Their results, so far, are extremely promising. On today's episode of the podcast, I talk to Chief Executive of Henry, Kim Roberts, about the amazing work that Henry does and what they have achieved so far. Henry believes that the problem doesn't just lie in what people are eating, and tries to work with parents to create healthy environments. Kim explains that empathy before education is key, and she shares the holistic approach that Henry takes to help families become healthier and happier. The practitioners that Henry trains have reported that they too have benefited from the training and have made positive changes in their own lives. Henry's approach very much echoes my own 360-degree approach to health And I believe that if it was available to all families, we would be a happier and healthier nation. I think what Henry have done is simply incredible and gives us a lot of hope that we can actually reverse the growing tide of childhood obesity. I think this is a really important conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Now, before we get started, as always, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to the sponsors of today's show, who are essential in order for me to continue putting out weekly episodes like this one. I'm delighted that Vivo Barefoot Shoes support my podcast. As you may already know, I am a huge fan of minimalist shoes and have been wearing Vivo Barefoot Shoes now for many years, as have my entire family. I strongly believe that our feet are one of the most important parts of our body for our movement and our musculoskeletal health. Their function influences how we walk, run, and so much more. Not only have I used them myself for years and found them extremely beneficial, but I have also used them with many of my patients, especially when it comes to issues such as hip pain, knee pain, and back pain. Vivo Barefoot shoes are thin, wide, and flexible, and they make shoes for every occasion for both adults and children. For listeners of my show, they have come up with a great deal. They are offering 20% off to all new customers in the UK, USA, Australia, and selected EU countries. If you have thought about giving them a go, this is a great incentive to start. 
it is important for me to say that they offer a 100-day free trial for new customers. So if you're not happy, you can simply send them back for a full refund. I think this is an amazing offer. So if you have been sitting on the fence about trying minimalist shoes, do consider taking advantage. You can get 20% off for new customers by going to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. That is vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. So Kim, welcome to the Feel Better Live More podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, look, you, you've um, spent a lot of time traveling today. You've come up to my house to record this, uh, and I really appreciate it. Um, I think to start off, I should probably say how I became aware of your work. And I think it was at the start of May, from recollection, Yeah, yeah. I saw this article in the Guardian newspaper stating that Leeds has started to reverse or turn back the tide of childhood obesity, something that no other UK city, to my knowledge, had done at that point. And, and I really was struck because a lot of the headlines around obesity and childhood obesity can be quite negative. A lot of the time it can feel like doom and gloom. Are we actually going to make a difference here? Are we actually going to be able to solve this problem? And it really gave me a glimmer of hope when I read that. And you are working with Henry, aren't you? And Henry are the charity behind what's been going on in Leeds? So yeah, Henry is a national charity and we started about 10, 11 years ago now as a practical obesity prevention intervention. One of our co-founders, Mary Rudolph, was Professor of Child Health in Leeds and she had been seeing um, obese teenagers in her clinics and realised that it's really hard to actually reverse obesity once it's established and became more and more persuaded that if we were going to do something about these sort of, you know, persistent and rising rates of child obesity, it needed to happen upstream um, and that the time to really make a difference was at the beginning of life. So Mary worked with... Um, with um, her colleagues in Henry to develop um, a whole... I mean, the thing about Henry is that it's multi-layered. We're not just one thing. We're recognising that there's different touch points for families bringing up young children and that we need to be able to influence those different touch points. Um, but yeah, the, our focus, um, we're working in 40 local authorities across the country now. Um, our focus is on really making a difference to the start that children get in life. Because actually what we've learned over the last 10 years is that what's good for preventing obesity is good for all children. And so the two go hand in hand. What does Henry stand for? Yeah, good question. So um, Henry stands for health, exercise, nutrition for the really young I'm fascinated that you and Henry have, have, have decided to put your focus on really young children. I mean, first of all, what does really young mean? And I guess the following question is, why do you think it's so important to intervene at that age rather than, let's say, when someone's a teenager or they're 15, 16 years old? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's, very, there's different reasons for that. I mean, the, one of the 
chief ones is that for all of us, it's much easier to get into good habits than try and change entrenched unhealthy habits later on. And I would say that for myself. And I think most people I, I speak to agree with that, that. So the start of life is a real moment of opportunity to get babies and young children off on that path of healthy attitudes to eating activity, food preferences. It's also a time in a family's life when they have a lot of contact with helping professionals, whether it's during pregnancy, um, early education, health visitors. So again, there's a moment of, of opportunity there to be able to, to put in the kind of help that might make a difference. And one of the things that, that we um, were really aware of was that traditional approaches to obesity prevention are focused very much on providing information so information about what families should be eating, how much activity young children should be getting, how much activity their their parents should be getting. And I think probably it's a bit like the emperor's new clothes, really, because I think everybody working in public health probably realises that if providing leaflets and information about what people should be doing was enough to make them do it, you know, we'd sort of all be out of a job, really. Yeah, we'd have solved the problem. We would, yeah. Um, and so we sort of all know that. I mean, I remember the, the, you know, a health visitor who came on Henry training saying to me, you know, she was talking about her work with the mother of an obese three-year-old. She said, and I, I sit there giving her advice and um, I know she's not going to, to, to follow any of it. So it's really thinking about, okay, we know actually that, probably the least effective way of helping people change is telling them what to do. And so what we've, I think, been doing at Henry is learning about what does help people to change those entrenched habits. And, you know, what do we need to do as, um, as helpers sure. to get alongside parents and help them to make the changes that will be in their children's interests? Well, well, you're clearly doing something right. Um, that's evident by all the press attention you got, by the actual stats. And, and actually, do you have those stats to hand? What exactly have you managed to achieve in Leeds so far? Yeah, I mean, Leeds is, uh, you know, did it did attract a lot of excitement. I, I should say that, you know, it's, we can't really claim that Leeds is the first city to ever reduce child obesity. But I think what we can see from the... Um, the statistics is that something pretty exciting is happening in terms of where obesity rates are falling in the city. I mean, there have been other pockets of success across the country. Um, University of Oxford did this statistical analysis of child obesity rates at age five in Leeds and compared those with the England national average and other demographically similar cities, so 15 comparator cities. And over a period of six years found that, and the, the, the fall was statistically significant, rates of obesity at age five had fallen by around six to seven percent. 
um, from 94 to 8.4%, which sounds like a small drop, but actually that is, when you actually think about children, that means that at the moment, 625 children a year are no longer obese when they start school. So that's sort of... In Leeds. In Leeds. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, and that, that gives it the sort of human scale, I think. But what really excites me and, and my colleagues at Henry is that the biggest drop in the city was in the deprived areas. And that's the bit that is really bucking the trend because what's happening across the country, because there's a huge sort of association between poverty and obesity, is that that rates of obesity in the most deprived areas are either climbing or just staying very sort of persistently stuck at a, at a high rate, which can be double. I mean, the rates of obesity in deprived areas can be double those in, in more affluent areas. And in Leeds, um, you know, in the deprived areas, rates fell by almost 10%. I mean, that is an incredible statistic. Yeah. And I think you've really touched on something that is so important. It's almost like the elephant in the room in the whole obesity conversation, because, um, you know, we talk about the things that we all should be doing to look after ourselves, to be healthy. Uh, we look at the childhood obesity problem across this country here in the UK, but also many countries across the world. And, you know, we, we're giving out more information, aren't we? But there, we, we've got to recognise that actually where you live, what the socioeconomic status of your family is, is a huge, if not the major determinant of whether you're going to be obese or not. And that's what, in, what, what really excites me about your statistics that I read was that you're making and arguably a bigger impact mm. in that mm. demographic. So mm. why is that? What is it about your approach that is managing to penetrate these, you know, parts of society where previously we've been unable to do so? Yeah, so I agree. I mean, it is really exciting. And for me, that's the, that's the gold dust, really. If we, can, if we can make that kind of difference so that the odds aren't stacked against children from birth, depending on, on where they're born and the community that they live in. So I think there's, there's different things. Um, I think one of the things is that in Leeds, as a city, they've really kept their strategic focus on the early years. They've kept their children's centres open. Um, and that's been part and parcel of being able to provide the support that Henry has been providing in the city. So Henry has been working really closely with the public health team in Leeds for, for 10 years. And what, what we've done together um, is embed support for families across the city in different ways. So recognising, as I said earlier, that... Um, young families have contact with with helping professionals in, in a way that they don't in their children's later life. Every health visitor in Leeds, every children's centre worker, childminders, um, nursery workers have all been trained by Henry. So it's a very joined up approach. Very joined up. So that means that when a family is, is, is you know, all of those touch points, when a family goes to somebody for help, support, or they're having a one of their regular health visiting visits, you know, families have five across their, their children's early years, they're getting um, support from somebody who's been trained in going beyond giving advice to really having the, the sort of quality of conversations that are about helping people make changes. So that that's the sort of, you know, uh, the changing the system around the family. 
And then within the children's centres, which are located in the most deprived areas of the city, we've been running the Henry eight-week family programme, which parents come to. And that's about really working with them to help them develop their confidence, their motivation, their skills, their understanding to make changes at home. This eight-week programme, what happens? So so how does someone access that, for example? Is it, you know, would a mum, let's say, be, you know, at the GP practice for either themselves or actually for their four-year-olds and... Um, it may come up in conversation that, hey, you know, uh, that there may be an obesity issue that we can maybe help you with here. And then they get referred. How does all that work? And what happens yeah. in that program? Yeah. So, yeah, um, t- t- two big questions there. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is that we don't target the program purely at families where obesity is an issue. This is something that's been offered in Leeds universally as a sort of healthy families programme. So we call it healthy families right from the start. Um, Of course, health visitors or other professionals who are concerned about weight issues in the family can refer families to the programme. But I think one of the things that we've learned over the years is that uptake is going to be much more effective if we can keep the the focus of the programme broad and position it with families as this is something that's good for all families. This is about becoming a healthier, happier family rather than you need to go on this because you've got an obese child. Yeah, and is that one of the problems with the traditional obesity approaches that it does feel or or, or parents and families may feel judged judged yeah and unfairly targeted and then the walls go up and they potentially don't want to engage because they don't like the way in which they've been asked to engage exactly i mean we're talking about one you know probably two of the most sensitive personal issues we're talking about people's parenting and we're talking about lifestyle and weight and they're, you know, they're two things that people feel incredibly sensitive about. And and we did some research when we were developing Henry um, with families about, you know, what was their experience when they when they sought help if they did have concerns about um, about their children's weight. And the vast majority said that they either felt judged, and so, you know, that just sort of that experience made them think, well, I'm never going to talk to anybody about it again, or they felt that their concerns were dismissed. And I think, you know, what that points to and why we focus so much on training, helping professionals um, in, in, in our work is that it points to health and early years professionals themselves not feeling confident about how to have those very sensitive conversations in a way that won't cause offence or will take people's concerns seriously but still leave them feeling respected and, and valued as a parent so it's it's so moving on to the to the program i mean i think there's there's two things that i'd really like to focus on one is is how you know, the, the the sort of ethos, the approach, the atmosphere. And the other is, you know, what we actually do. Um, so let me start with the approach, because that's, I think, the starting point. One of the things that gets bandied around a lot, and I don't know if you've come across this in your work as a doctor, is this phrase readiness for change. And a lot of preventive health promotion services talk about what, you know, even have as a, as a, 
criteria for being able to get a service that somebody has to be ready to change. Yeah, regarding smoking and things, we, yeah. we, we, we take that as, yeah. you know, as standard, really. Yeah. And it's true that, you know, change happens when people do feel able and ready to change. But what I strongly believe and what we've been um, working, um, you know, with a sort of firm belief in at Henry is that there's things that we can do as helping professionals to build readiness for change rather than saying, well, you wait over there and come back when you're ready because it's not easy for any of us to get unstuck and to find that sort of will and confidence to be able to make changes. I mean, one of the things I know through my own life is that we tend to keep on going with habits, even when they're uncomfortable and unhelpful. There's something about them, you know, the the momentum and the energy of familiarity that can keep us very stuck. So what we're doing at Henry when we're working with a group or when we're working with individual um, parents, because we, we offer the, um, the programme either on a group basis or an individual basis, is we're really um, creating what, the conditions for change. So let, let me think about how to describe those. We start by the, with the relationship um, and really building a relationship with with parents that's about um, listening to help to develop an understanding of the reality of their lives and where they are because we if any service and support is going to be effective it has to really be about starting where people are in their lives are you talking about the relationship between the healthcare professional and the parents. Yes. That, that sort yeah. of... Yeah, or, or a programme facilitator, a Henry sure. programme facilitator and a group, a Henry programme facilitator and an individual parent or a, a health practitioner um, and parents that they're working with in their wider roles. Um, one of my favourite watchwords is empathy before education, that many of us were trained to to dispense advice and have been trained in this sort of expert model where we use our expertise to, to advise. And one of the things that I've learned in my, in my work is that um, the thing I need to do first of all is to stop talking and listen and, and really use empathy to communicate that understanding and respect for for the reality of people's lives and the very real challenges that families face in in providing a healthy start for their children particularly when they might be grappling with all sorts of other issues like housing or relationship breakdown um or you know very long entrenched intergenerational lifestyle yeah. habits you know the that when we when we actually really get alongside people and listen, it becomes clear why change is so hard. And so that listening and empathy is the starting point, I think, for engaging people. It's, and it, it's, it's not it's not actually dissimilar, I would say, for any healthcare professional. Like you know, I've been a practicing doctor for I don't know eighteen and a half years now, and I think I learnt early on that actually. It's not about how much you know. It's not about the education. The most important thing is, can you connect with that person in front of you? That's the starting point. Once you can connect with them, 
then everything feeds, you know, on the back of that. Mm. Um, and it sounds like you, in many ways, it's common sense, isn't it? In many ways. It is. It, but it's just not that common, unfortunately, these exactly. days. Exactly. But, but I love that phrase, empathy before education, mm. because I, you know, it, it really strikes me that the approach you and Henry are taking it really shares this inherent belief that I have that actually every person, every family, every parent is trying to be as healthy as they can mm, mm. based on their lifestyle, their life pressures, their situation. I don't think anyone is trying to put on weight and, you know, sit in front of the television and not be active. Mm. I think that's just the, the way that they've ended up. And, mm. and and it sounds like you you also have this core belief that actually if we can connect with people on a human level, they actually all want the same things. And mm. then maybe we can facilitate that for mm. them. Mm. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, we know that the vast, vast majority of parents want to give their children the best start in life. But for, for many families, knowing what best is or how to achieve it is the difficult bit. So I think, you know, that relationship based on empathy, listening, trust, understanding is the starting point to opening the door to being able to help. It's sort of, you know, it's the prerequisite for everything that comes after. But I think when we're thinking about change, one of the one of the key ingredients is confidence. And so we we talk about a strengths-based approach, starting with what's going well. And that can be quite surprising for parents who come on our program, you know, because some think, oh God, it's going to be like going back to school or, yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be told everything I'm doing wrong. And the relief on people's faces at the end of the first session, when they, what they've experienced in that first session is understanding and empathy for some of the things they're struggling with they've also experienced this enormous relief of hearing other parents in the room share some of the same struggles and challenges so that relief of it's not just me but what they also leave with is a sense of ooh, you know there are things that I'm you know doing really well for my children so one of the first things we do in the program is is invite parents to 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 think about all of the things that they're doing already to get their children off to a healthy start in life and all of the things that they're already doing to lead a healthy family lifestyle and provide that healthy home environment. And then it's about building on those strengths that this, you know, that rather than focusing on the problems and, you know, what's not happening, let's start with the strengths because those are the bright spots those 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 are the causes that you know those are the things that give families optimism hope determination confidence to think about changing things and it makes them feel good right if, yeah. if, if parents if, if a parent's going to this and they're feeling apprehensive and actually the first thing they hear about is what a great job they're doing in in, in a b and c areas mm. that's a nice feeling and it's absolutely it probably means they're much more likely to now positively engage in anything else yeah. you, you know all those areas maybe you know, that they're not doing as well in, maybe they're much more open to hear some possible strategies to tackle them. Yeah. Um, I, I was reading um, an article about Amsterdam uh, a couple of hours ago before you, you came up today, because I think this was about a year ago when we heard that Amsterdam seems to be a city which is making a real impact 
in childhood obesity. And there was something I read about saying, you know, I think one of the child health nurses there was saying, you know, whenever we we start with a family, it's not necessarily about us telling them what to do. The first thing we've got to do is listen. And sometimes we will ask them, where do you think you're going wrong? Mm. And she says, often they can tell us. Mm. And it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if there are similarities between your approaches. Are, have you studied the Amsterdam approach? Do you know what they're doing there, particularly in these areas where they're bringing obesity down? Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, I've, I think there's some brilliant work happening in Amsterdam. And we have worked with them. They invited us to go over a couple of years ago now, 18 months ago, and train their their child health service in the Henry approach to working with parents. So has the Henry approach been used? So it's been utilised in Amsterdam as well as part of what they're doing? It has. When, when we, we trained a, a fairly small cohort, but they they were really inspired by the training. In fact, we, we, had, we had some amazing feedback. One of the... Um, one of the um, youth health, they call it the youth health service in Amsterdam, um, people said at the end of the two-day training that we delivered, she said, I've been on many training courses. And she said, I always feel like I, and she patted her back, she said, I leave with a few more tools in my kit bag. But she said, after this training, I've changed here. And she was sort of tapping her tapping her heart and everybody was tapping their chest. Oh, wow. And, and what they were saying was that, you know, what they'd gained from from the Henry training was that they they had thought about parents' experiences in a way that they hadn't. And I think that that's, you know, that's where, the, you know, the power of what we're doing can be transformative. I mean, I think there's so much brilliant work happening in Amsterdam and, we, you know, we, we, we maintain contact with them. And I think that... Um, you know what they're what they're doing which is really inspiration is really taking this whole city approach which includes the environment it includes schools it includes families and it's really uh, exciting i certainly want to come on that a little bit later um one thing that again struck me when i when i first read about your work because to be honest, I, I'm sort of very interested in childhood obesity. I, I sort of talk about it in the media quite regularly. I write about it. Um, I wasn't familiar with the work, you know, that, that Henry was doing. I hadn't come across it. So it was amazing to see mm. it. Mm. But there was a few things that really struck me when I read the article. And that was that you seem to be taking a very a very much holistic approach, a very rounded approach. Mm. It wasn't just one thing, it was mm. several things because mm. we know obesity is incredibly complex. Mm. It gets super simplified in the media sometimes, but it is incredibly complex. And I noticed that you were addressing, um, you know, with parents, things like, you know, regular meal times, mm. screen time before beds. Um, you were talking, you know, really about parenting style in many ways. Mm. And I guess you touched on this right at the start of our conversation that's, these are delicate areas, parenting, obesity. These are, for some people, they're no-go areas. You know, a lot of people won't go there. A lot of healthcare professionals find it hard to go there because for fear of upsetting a parent or, or you know, or making them feel ashamed in any way. So you, with the Henry approach, have gone there. You go into parenting. What is it about, obviously, I, I'm getting it's a very human approach, but, but why is it, do you think, that the approach you're taking you know, that the parents aren't getting their backs up, that they are actually letting their guard down and listening and implementing. Because I've read some of the case studies that you've sent. And these are mums, you know, and families 
who feel that this has revolutionized mm. um, the way that they parent, given them confidence, given them a way that, that you can't change everything in their lives, but you've given them some sort of routine and structure. And, and one of the case studies was, was talking about, you know, regular meal times and screen time before bed. And I was thinking, this is fantastic that you, you are taking this rounded approach. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think th- that that's, you know, that's the sort of content bit of the program, which is recognizing that a healthy lifestyle or, um, you know, preventing obesity doesn't start magically with what, what children eat and how active they are. Those are, those are sort of the end products. And so we're, we're thinking about the reality of family life. I think, you know, in terms of not getting people's backs up, what I've already been saying about really building that relationship based on trust, respect, and recognizing people's strengths, that enables us then to have, you know, the more personal explorations because people feel safe. We've created a safe, um, supportive atmosphere. But we tend to think about the different, you know, it's a bit like a waterfall, you know, what, what do you, what, what sort of, um, what, what does the flow look like? What's the starting point? I mean, I'm a parent myself. Um, my, my daughters are grown now, but I know from personal experience that family life with young children is pretty full on yeah. and it challenges, you know, almost, well, I think every, every parent I've spoken to, I remember speaking to a director of education once who came on one of my, one of our trainings. And he said, I like to think I'm a relatively competent person running a multi-million pound department, but it counts for nothing when it comes to getting my seven-year-old to bed at night. So there's something that's a great leveler about parenting. So recognizing that parenting young children, you know, is a challenge that most, that that most of us are grappling with. And then when you add in the additional challenges for parents living in poverty or, or challenging circumstances, we need to start with parental well-being um, because none of us are able to do our best when we're stressed out, exhausted, running on empty. I remember one parent saying to me, you know, it's as much as I can do to get myself in and out of the bath each day, let alone think about changing anything. So very often um, helping parents think about their own needs um, and how they can reduce stress, recharge their batteries, which, you know, very often comes down to thinking about things that they enjoy doing and, um, and making time to do those is the starting point for, for family change. And we use the, the five ways to wellbeing, which, are which, um, you, you're familiar with. Can, the, can you elaborate for the listeners? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, these are used by, by different, um, uh, healthcare professionals they were developed by the new economics foundation when they when they talk to people about what 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 contributes to your happiness and well-being people came up with five consistent themes so um connect and that so that's about you know what we get from each other and feeling emotionally supported being active um paying attention so you know that's about all of that mindful stuff about being in the present um you know, not going for a walk with the thoughts whizzing around our head, but noticing our surroundings, looking at the trees. Um, so that's the third one. The fourth one is about um, giving, you know, that one of the things that builds our own 
sense of purpose and well-being is when we feel we're making a positive contribution to 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 others lives and then lastly learn um you know just taking on new um skills information knowledge um challenges that that you know that that sort of revs us up keeps us interested in life i I love it i mean i hadn't heard about those five factors in this context Mm. but it was just fascinating for me hearing them because i've literally uh, i've in my first two books um i've i've really covered those five factors in detail across across the both books Just taking a quick break in today's conversation to give a shout out to the sponsors of today's show. Athletic Greens continue their support of my podcast. To be really clear, I absolutely prefer that people get all of their nutrition from foods. But for some of us, this is not always possible. Athletic Greens is one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across and contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. So if you are looking to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of this podcast, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens, which is worth around £70 with your first order. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. It is fascinating for me that the approach that you seem to be talking about is, you know, you're not focusing on obesity, you're focusing on creating health in families. And in families where excess waste is an issue, it seems as though that's going to start falling away as a side effect Mm. of creating health. Absolutely. And, And I love, it really deeply resonates with me because that's the approach I've taken with all the work I do in the media and with my first two books, it's very much, this is how you create the conditions for good health. It's not a book for, or, or an approach for, uh, for type 2 diabetes or for obesity or for migraines or for whatever. It's, but actually, if you, if you follow those principles, you'll often find that those things will start to get better. And I, I think that's the part about your approach that really, you know, that really sort of does work for me in, 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 in terms of how I feel about it. It just feels as though it's, it really gets the root cause mm. of these problems mm. rather than saying, oh, you're overweight. You need to eat less calories. We need to get you into a gym class. Um, and as you say, if, if printing more leaflets was going to solve this problem, you know, given the amount of leaflets that you get in any GP practice now, or, any, you know, we would have solved this a long time ago. Um, and yes, you would have been out of a job. I'm sure you'd be delighted to be out of a job if that meant the childhood obesity problem was solved. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yes. So I absolutely, I think you couldn't put it better. It's, it is about creating healthy families. And that is what will enable children to flourish. So um, so thinking about those conditions that we're creating, parents who've got the energy, the resources um, to cope well with family life is the starting point. The next sort of ingredient, if you like, is that parents have the the skills and the strategies to establish certain lifestyle habits, routines, um, attitudes to eating activity because there's a big difference for parents between knowing that it's not great for children to be slouched in front of the television all day but actually having the 
you know, the parenting strategies to stay appropriately in charge as an adult and get their children involved in other activities. And because we're about, you know, long-term change, if we if we imagine what will happen that, um, you know, if every time a parent says, you know, switch off the television or no, you can't have a chocolate bar or whatever it is that, you know, there's a, you know, a huge argument, family life becomes a battleground. Parents are likely to just sort of give up and, and, you know, be more likely more of the time to take the path of least resistance so it is about really I mean what we what we what we're doing in the Henry program is helping parents think about some really um, simple but effective skills for daily life with young children so how can we engage cooperation we've got lots of different sort of ideas around that parents bring their own as well because that the whole culture of the program is about parents sharing ideas with each other but to give you a couple of examples um one of the, the i suppose i think there's probably two things that most families would say it's really helped it's really helped turn things around um and those are family rewards and guided choices um so f- family rewards a lot of a lot of us have these sort of concept of reward systems which is all about giving children a sticker for doing something that their parent wants them to do but the henry family reward systems are very different um they're cooperative they involve the whole family um so it's about it's a way of um building a culture within the family of being able to thank appreciate reward but without that sort of competition and um, sort of pressure to do something that that the the parents want children to do. So a a family might decide that, I mean, we're talking about young children here, so they might decide that their family reward system for the next few days is to build a a tower of wooden bricks. Okay. And each time that somebody is happy about something that somebody else has done or wants to thank them, they'll say, please put a brick on our tower. So adults can say that to children, you know, thank you for coming to the table to eat when I asked you to. Or adults can say it to each other. So parents model to their children and thank each other, you know, thank you for washing up when I was tired. Um, Or children can say it to to their brothers and sisters or to their parents. And so it involves the whole family and the whole family are building, building the reward together. And what does that do? So what that does is it provides um, parents with a way of engaging cooperation that motivates, you know, children enjoy being thanked, rewarded. Um, It's kinesthetic, you know, children are building a tower, they see the results. So um, it's much more likely to um, help parents engage their children's cooperation when they ask them to do something. And it also gives parents a way of praising. And actually, praise can be something very difficult for parents, particularly if they weren't praised themselves as a child. Many parents struggle to find the words. And so, you know, they might say good boy or good girl, which, you know, is is probably slightly more enjoyable than naughty <laughs> girl or naughty boy but it doesn't give the child a lot of information the thing with these family rewards is that the parent is 
is provided with a framework for praising and thanking, but in a very descriptive way. Thank you for coming to the table so quickly when I asked you. So the child knows exactly what they've done that was helpful. And they've they've had the treat of putting a, a block on the towel. Oh, I mean, this is a brilliant yeah. example. I, I mean, you know, I'm now asking for a friend. No, I'm, not, I'm asking for myself. I'm yeah. thinking this is a great idea. And um, so wouldn't, you know, making a tower of blocks, are there any other sort of things that you found work for people apart from a tower of blocks? Of so the, I think the nice thing is that families come up with their own ideas. It could be it's Lego, a, it could be anything. Absolutely. It could be colouring in a picture together. Um, oh, so the picture may, maybe lives somewhere and then when someone does something good, they can go and colour a part off it. Absolutely. And then you, over time you build up and the whole thing and maybe every few weeks gets coloured in. Yeah. And, and what does that symbolise? So it, it's, it's about, the, you know, the family working together and building... It's building an atmosphere in the house, which is about cooperation, enjoyment, fun, togetherness. And it's, you know, that positive atmosphere is a big part of, you know, what makes a happy family. And I think a lot of parents who come on our program say, oh, I came along because I was worried about my child's eating. But, you know, I thought Henry was about healthy eating, but, you know, we're a healthy happy family now you know it's not it's changed my life it hasn't just sort of it's not just about what we eat no it's you know I've got to say for for me personally as you know I'm doing this conversation with you as a a doctor whose goal is to try and empower as many people as possible to live you know to to feel better so they can get more out of their lives but like with all things when it comes to kids you know you can't you can't stop switching into your life as a dad as a parent I'm thinking wow, I'd love to do some of these classes and actually learn some of these skills um, that I can then apply because it goes back to what you're saying at the start. It's not about obesity, is it? It's about creating healthy family environments and then the things that are a result of unhealthy family environments will start to get better, whether that be obesity or anything else. Um, I think you touched on something really important when you gave that example, which was if a parent, for example, has not been praised much as a child, then they may struggle to give praise to their child. And then that whole cycle can continue. And we know that there is this transgenerational stress that gets passed through, lifestyle habits. We know that for many reasons, this is very complex, but we know that obesity, for example, can run in families and not necessarily for the reasons that we might think in terms of oh, you have a genetic predisposition to now carrying excess weight. It may be to do with behaviors and cultural habits. Um, is that, I mean, this approach, this the example you've given about families working together is a great way of showing how, you know, you can, you can override that in some ways by creating a new environment and a new family dynamic. Um, are you seeing this work across you know, different socioeconomic groups, different cultures as well. I'm sure in Leeds, for example, there must be, your program must be targeting lots of different communities from different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the, you know, that's the, that's something that is, you know, really hopeful and inspiring about, about this because we're helping families find their own solutions and, you know, think about the ideas that will work for them. It does it does translate across um, cultures, across ethnic backgrounds. And because Henry is embedded in the more deprived areas of the country, the vast majority are very ethnically diverse. And so a high percentage of the families that go through the programme are from an ethnic, um, a minority ethnic background. 
We've also um, been delivering Henry in Israel, actually, and um, in both Jewish communities and Arab communities. And what we weren't sure, you know, it was it was the first time that we had delivered the program outside the UK context. And we thought that it would translate because we know from the diversity of of parents um, that we're working with in the UK that, that it was able to sort of straddle different cultures. But, there's, you know, the experience in Israel has been amazing and, um, it, you know, it, it has really... Um, worked in both those Arab and and Jewish communities. That's incredible to hear. And I guess if you think about it, it's not that surprising because the rules of, um, you know, the rules of human health Mm. (laughs) are universal. They're the Mm. same everywhere. But Mm. I guess the way that Henry personalize the approach to that family Mm. means that it actually is universally applicable because you're not from what I can tell, you're not enforcing a strict set of rules and guidelines on everyone, in which case you can come up mm. against cultural barriers. Mm. Um, but if you are personalizing it, mm. and again, I love that empathy before education, mm. people are going to be open to these sort of principles. And so yeah. are these different countries approaching Henry? Are they hearing the results and saying, hey, look, come and help us? Yeah. So yes, it was the Ministry of Health in in Israel that um, that wanted to adopt adopt henry and we we are getting approaches from from other parts of the world as well and it's really exciting i think that but you know it's what you say you know this is about being human (laughs) and it's about what what do children need and you know children flourish when their parents are able to provide those warm responsive loving um parent-child relationships but when they're also able to stay appropriately in charge yeah. as adults and you know you touched on parenting styles earlier and and that that's that's the sort of broad aim that um that we have in Henry is to help parents manage to hold that balance between responsive and appropriately in charge more of the time. I mean, none of us can, you know, do it all of the no. time. There are times when, but it's about where, you know, what are we aiming for as parents and and what will en- enable us to do it? So I, I touched on guided choices earlier, which is a, is a really good um, practical example of that balance between responsive to children's needs, feelings, opinions, but being appropriately in charge. So we're, we're looking at parents giving children a, what we call a guided choice, a choice of two healthy options. You know, do you want carrot or, you know, or broccoli? Um, so, and, and, and why does that work? Is it because children like to feel a bit empowered? Well, not just children, adults. Absolutely. That we're, we've yeah. got some say in what's happening. Absolutely. None of us like to be told what to do. We all like to feel like we've got some control. But if we give children too much choice, you know, what do you want to eat? Um, you know that's unlikely, probably to 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 result in a healthy, balanced meal. What what's underpinned this approach? Has it been? Have you had psychologists working with you? I mean, the, these seem really progressive approaches that you guys are taking, and, and it's as I say, it, it so excites me to hear about this. And I just wonder where that ethos has come from because it doesn't appear to be the standard. Um, so these are these are all elements. I mean, it is based on the work of psychologists. So parenting styles yeah. was um, that whole concept was developed by psychologists in the back in the nineteen seventies. Diana Baumrind, 
um, Maccabee and Martin did some more work on them in the 80s. So uh, what, what the Henry program is doing is is sort of integrating these insights from from psychology, from behaviour change, from, you know, attachment theory, um, yeah. if we're talking about those sort of warm, responsive um, parent-child relationships. But then translating that theory into practical family life. And um, I mentioned Mary Rudolph, as, um, who was one of Henry's co-founders, Professor of Child Health. Um, she worked with Candida Hunt, who was my predecessor as, as the um, director of Henry, whose background was like mine in parenting support, training, behaviour change. And I think it, it's those two things coming together, you know, the clinical, the academic research about the risk and protective factors for child obesity, but then being able to turn those into a practical intervention that engages parents, builds yeah. their confidence, their motivation, and you know creates those conditions for change. You know, right, make, it makes the knowledge. It, it is about translating knowledge into practice. I think yeah. that that's what we we we're, we're aiming to do. Do you think the role for Henry is in some way filling a gap um, that you know as we Society has changed a lot over the last 30, 40 years. Yes, the food environment has changed dramatically, but also the way we're living. Lots of people move away now from where they've grown up. They are living independent lives. They might be bringing up kids without any support around them. And maybe two parents are working. So you've got this very, these very stressful lives without support. And therefore, the things that, you know, I guess I'm just hypothesizing, could this be part of part of the success is that some of these um, parenting styles were probably, you know, wisdom that was passed on from generation to generation when people live nearby and you might have your parents looking after the child while you went out to work, you know, as that's sort of being eroded out of society as we are moving away and, you know, things like loneliness are, are, are on the rise. It, it, it seems to me that could Henry in some way just be almost filling that gap some way and providing that education for some of the families that they would have potentially otherwise got through their culture? Yeah, I think. I mean, I do think that a lot of parents of young children can feel very isolated and yeah. it's what parents who come on the programme often talk about. And it's it's a huge stress, I think, for, for, you know, being an adult with young children and not feeling that sense of social support. So I think one of the things that, one of the biggest things that parents get from going through a programme like Henry is contact with other parents and the chance to hear from one another and know, you know, as I was saying earlier, know that other people have the same issues, um, challenges. And then do they, do you encourage contacts for that, for that contact to stay yeah. as they're, or they're all trying to make their families healthier? Yeah. Do they help each other? Yes. I think that, I mean, a lot stay in contact and in some areas of the country we're training, um, you know, we offer parents who've done the program the chance to train as a Henry volunteer, we call them parent champions, who are then, you know, living and working in those local communities and encouraging parents to keep the positive changes going, as well as, you know, that sort of outreach to parents who who, who haven't yet um, been part of the programme. So I think it is about family change but it's also thinking about those communities yeah. um that that families grow up in and the more that we can 
embed support um, and momentum for change. So, you know, whether it's families getting together for a play afternoon in the local park or a fruit and veg tasting session yeah. or a cooking program. So, you know, in, in Bradford, um, we've, we have these parent champions and we're, we've developed a cooking program because, there were, you know, families were saying, well, we, we really like the you know, what we've learned from Henry, but we'd like to to, to do more about cooking. Um, and so we can respond to, to those different well, needs. I, I, my next question was actually going to be, do cooking classes form any part mm. of this? But I guess you've answered that in terms of you respond to what the needs are and mm. then you provide what's necessary mm. rather than giving this top-down approach. It's very much bottom-up. Yeah. Um, that, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that so one of the things that we, we're just doing at the moment is is um, is extending our age range, so upwards and downwards. So we, we have a... Um, our early years programme is called Healthy Families right from the start, but we've just uh, been piloting a programme for... for expectant parents in pregnancy called healthy families in the making which is very much helping um those parents to be think about you know what home environment what family lifestyle do we want our baby to be born into so it's sort of nest building on a lifestyle you're um, each time you're you're going more to the root of the root of the roots of the problem in the sense that yeah if you start off in you know prenatally and you know or or in pregnancy and creating those conditions Mm. and those in that environment Mm. I guess you have to do less remedial work mm. when the child's three, four, year, five mm. years old because mm. a lot mm. of it was already done, and mm. uh, it's it, it is incredible. Um, you know, how long do you think it's taken for you to make? And I appreciate you're saying you're just one part of uh, many other organisations who, who are trying to do good work in Leeds. Do we do we have a sense yet of how many years it has taken to start getting this downward trend in obesity in Leeds, for example? So it's not a quick fix, is it? It isn't a quick fix. Um, and it, it particularly isn't a quick fix because if you're going to make a difference at population level, you've got to embed this kind of support at scale as well. I mean, what doesn't really work? I mean, it will help it will help individual families, but it won't create population level change if you sort of helicopter in and deliver a few programs for a while and then and then disappear. So it is about having that real strategic vision, which I think, you know, that there, there are various, um, you know, really inspiring um, places across the UK where commissioner, public health commissions are taking this real strategic vision and leads a, a shining example of that, of long term. You know, we want to invest in the early years and we're going to keep going and we're going to do it citywide um, by training the workforce, by running programmes in children's centres. So how quickly... I mean, the the Oxford University study covered six years and rates were dropping during during that time. Um, We want to understand more about the factors in Leeds that that led to that change and and what was different about Leeds. I mean, we know that Henry's been a big part of their child healthy weight strategy. Um, But I think in terms of applying the wider learning nationally we we we're we're really keen to um initiate a study that will really get underneath the the data and and do an analysis of you know what was Leeds doing and how did that compare with what was happening in those comparator cities and i would imagine that having got such incredible you know results that got the media's attention Mm. 
that then gets more eyes on the problem and more people then probably want to study mm. it and go, well, let's mm. find out more. Mm. So I guess it's almost like the tip of the iceberg by actually showing that you can make a difference with childhood mm. obesity. Mm. You're just opening up possibilities for lots of people to replicate it, to, to collaborate, to, to, to research even further, mm. Mm. which I think is, is yeah. incredibly exciting. And I think what it does is it, it gives us all hope that it is yeah. possible because you, you started wrong by saying, you know, that the headlines around child abuse are always so depressing yeah. and bleak. They've gone up again, you know, and one in 10 children in this country are obese at age five. And, and you know, that's just absolutely stacking the odds against them you know public health england did some longitudinal research and only one child in 20 who starts school obese will be a healthy weight when they leave primary school so if they're obese when they start school the chances of them regaining a healthy weight are so slim and i think what the what the leeds results show all of it is that it is possible. Yeah. And let's really, you know, learn about what does make a difference, whether it's, you know, keeping those children's centres open so there's a place to engage and support families or, um, you know, investing in the kind of programme that Henry's offering, which is about that holistic behaviour change focused um, support for parents. You know, let's really focus on what works um, having had some hope that it's possible. Yeah, I think that, as you say, that is the main thing that I got from it, that there's hope mm. and there is a possibility that we can do something here. Mm. Um, childhood obesity rates are coming down in Leeds in the areas that were, were, were studied. Um, are you seeing adult rates coming down or the, in the parents of mm. those children or those the parents who you're helping? I'm, mm. I don't know if this has been studied or, or, or been measured, but it's intriguing to me that if those parents are learning some skills and strategies to help create those environments at home they're going to change aspects of their diet and, and their lifestyle if the kids weight is dropping I would imagine that some of the parents might be as well yeah I mean we've got lots and lots of anecdotal evidence right. because um I mean one thing that we haven't really touched on is parents as role models yeah. um and that you know children learn you know the whole of social learning theory is that children learn from the important adults around them and so at Henry we are focusing on this whole family um lifestyle and you mentioned earlier you know those eating and activity habits about sitting down um, to eat meals together, um, thinking about portion sizes, getting more active together, having, you know, having those sort of, having that sort of um, approach of balance to whether it's what you're eating or what how you're spending the day. Um, and yes, pe what parents are saying is that it's changed, it's changed yeah. them. So it's, it, it, it's not uncommon for parents to say, you know, I've gone down three dress sizes. And also what's really interesting is that the practitioners who come on the training say the same thing, that they haven't just changed the way that they're um, working with parents. They've also made changes in their own lifestyle and that, you know, many of the practitioners who've done the Henry training are saying, yeah, we've, you know, we've lost weight. And that's really important as well because they're role models. And, you know, we know that because NHS professionals are, you know, just a subset of the population that the rates of overweight and obesity amongst NHS professionals, um, you know, aren't that different from the population at large. So 
And that doesn't really inspire confidence in, in families. I mean, one of the things that practitioners um, who, who come to, to train with Henry to deliver the programme, if they are struggling with their own weight and lifestyle, they say, you know, I'm not sure that I'm the right person to be doing this. And we always say, you are if you're making changes, because that's, you know, yeah. that's a brilliant role model. You know, if you're struggling with your weight or you're struggling to eat healthily or you're struggling to, to be active, but you're finding ways of doing that, then that is very confidence inspiring for the parents. And it's very normalizing yeah. as well. It's not, you know, I'm okay and you've got the problem. You know, we are all in this together because we're all people. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think that Changing always, you know, starts with the parents and that if children are going to learn healthy attitudes and habits around eating and activity, they're going to learn those from their parents as well as from, you know, the, the other significant people. So we're working with um, childcare providers, you know, what happens in 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 daycare and um, in childminders' homes because those are all of the places where these enduring lifelong attitudes and habits and yeah. routines are sort of imprinted really you know this this issue of parents as role models is something that i mentioned a few times i've written about a few times um that's one thing i've learned as a parent and you know my kids are now nine and six so you know i've got nine years experience as a parent i'm learning new things every day i'm just like everyone else trying to do my best i don't know if i am or not so i'm certainly <laughs> doing mm. the best that i can and I, I've really seen time and time again that kids don't really do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you doing. Mm. It seems to be your actions seem to influence them more than anything you can say. Certainly that's been my impression as a parent. Mm. Mm. And I often, when I talk to parents in my practice as a GP, um, I'll often say, you know, if, you, if you're trying to encourage your child to eat more healthily, but you're sitting on the sofa and having a packet of crisps and telling them they can't, it's just not going to resonate with them. It's going to, you know, it, you're going to have to try, and I know it's difficult, but you're going to have to try and model the behavior in front of your children that you want them to adopt. Um, and I think parents are receptive to hearing that once, if you do it in a non-judgmental way. Mm. Um, mm. So so that, I, I, I think parents as role models is a really, it's something that we all have to take very seriously, I mm. think. Um, I love your anecdotes as well, that the, the, the people going on your courses are saying not, wow, I'm actually improving my own health and well-being by learning, even though they're doing it to train others. And we find that as well. I, with, with, a, with a couple of colleagues, run a course called Prescribing Lifestyle Medicine. It's um, one of the first courses accredited by the Royal College of GPs. And we teach a new framework for doctors. I think we trained over a thousand now so far in the last year and a half on how you use lifestyle as medicine really for your patients effectively how do you personalize it to the individual and one of the yes we're doing it to help patients around the country but it's really nice when a lot of the doctors feed back to us oh i didn't know that i've actually started doing that with myself and my family and i'm feeling better and you know i'm losing weight or i'm sleeping better and it's and, and i think you really you know really cover that so beautifully that it's not about us and them we are them we're, we're, we're all patients we are we're all struggling with this modern health crisis and it strikes me that what you're doing, I mean, you've clearly said it, it's not really an obesity strategy, it's a well-being strategy. Um, but it but it seems to be more than that. It seems to be, in some ways, I think if all of us have access to Henry, then family well-being, family illness, family obesity, 
happiness would all start to improve as a consequence. You know, and that's me getting a little bit overly excited <laughs> and just translating it yeah. five, ten years down the line. But yeah. but it could do, couldn't it? Really? Well, I mean, I would say yes because what we're talking about is enabling a healthy start. Yeah, and that you know that sets children off on you know the the best trajectory possible for the rest of their lives and and what we learn in those early years is is just so enduring but we can't we can't make a difference without really creating those confident parents those healthy happy families and it has to be enjoyable you know families yeah. won't keep doing it if it's blum and hard work they might keep it up for a short while and then they'll slip back and they you know families say we don't we really don't want to and i think the thing that you know that i really believe helps them keep going is because family life isn't just healthier it's happier they're enjoying spending time with their children they're feeling better about themselves and that you know it's a virtuous circle it generates energy and more change and with that bit of you know just it 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 um it triggered a thought for me when you were saying about that you know you know children learn from what they see rather than from what they hear and there's a lot of unconscious um behavior and messaging that goes on in a family around which foods are desirable and what's a treat um in terms of both you know what you eat and how you spend your time and so we we're also thinking about break you know really breaking those emotional associations between um food and well-being whether it's using food as a reward or a um a comfort do you um, think it's problematic to use food as a reward i think it is because it's because of the kind of food that's used you know i mean you don't hear parents saying oh you know you've been so helpful I'm going to get you a carrot to eat on the way home it just isn't what is it's associated not norm, yeah. it's not it's um so because it's the high fat high sugar it's the it's the chocolate the ice creams the, the crisps that are used as treats and rewards and comfort then you know we're re- we're really encouraging parents to find other ways. We, I mean, parents want to make their children yeah. happy. You know, we all get a, a warm glow seeing our children enjoy doing something. But that's why your wooden uh, block is such a lovely mm, yeah. strategy because kids would get a lot of enjoyment out of that, yeah. thinking, oh, you know, I came to the table when I was asked and you get to put another block on it. You yeah. know, that is that is a reward. Yeah. Um, but it's a different kind of reward, isn't it's it? It's a different kind of reward. And it it's also... Um, I mean, the other bit that I think is really important to, you know, just to, to sort of acknowledge is that this isn't about being incredibly evangelical and no. saying, you know, you're never going to have chocolate in the house. Sure. You're, ne- you're never going to, um, you know, enjoy a cake together. Um, moderation. Um, but it's it's so it's about having those things sometimes, but not giving them that emotional um, association of treat, special pleasure. Which will stay with them mm. as a teenager, yeah. as a young adult yeah. and, and yeah. beyond. Yeah. Um, and that's, re- you know, that's a really hard one to break because of those environmental messages. It's not just what happens in the family. Well, I, mean, I, I, I wanted to move on to that because just, just to finish off our conversation, 
a lot of what I'm hearing and what of what I read is that you you spend time with families, you you really try and listen, understand, help provide some personalized strategies for them, particularly in terms of parenting style at home. But one of the big problems is that we're living in a very obesogenic environment. And so, you know, how how does Henry tackle you know, you give these strategies, but then they're going out into a world where sometimes making those decisions can be very, very difficult. Um, on the podcast a few weeks ago, I spoke to Dan Buetner, who's done a lot of research on the blue zones, these five areas around the world where people have lived to, um, you know, very, you know, to, to a ripe old age, but in very good health. And he talks a lot about the power of the environment. The environment makes it easy for healthy choices. And, and we, we talked on schools a little bit, and he said actually that one bit of research he'd come across showed that actually if a school stops snacking in the class, it, it sort of makes it a rule that you can't eat in the classroom or the corridor, BMI drops by about 11%, which I found remarkable to hear that. And you can see why, because, you know, if kids are allowed to eat in the classroom, just when they're walking between classes, that's going to be added to quite a lot of food in the day. But if that's just, it's not acceptable environmentally, it automatically reduces how much people eat. So I guess what I'm, I'm trying to ask is, is any part of Henry's approach at the moment, or is that something you're going to move into? How do you make the environment around these families a little bit easier? Mm, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, obesity is what, what's often referred to as a wicked issue. You know, there is no one solution and Henry certainly isn't, um, you know, a magic bullet in that way. We are one part um, of making a difference. We are very much part of that um, that national conversation and um, seeking to influence policy around things like um, food labelling, um, which could be so much clearer. You know, families are always always telling us you know just how hard it is to know yeah. what what's in food and uh, so you know we're part of campaigning we work as part of the obesity health alliance um and we're we're part of campaigning for you know clear food labeling um ending marketing of junk food to children which makes it so much harder for parents to stay appropriately in charge when their children are desperate to have what they've advertised seen advertised on television or um thinking about you know i mean food reformulation that um you know there is so much hidden sugar in 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 foods and one of the things that you know parents often think that they're giving their children as a healthy lunch is those little pots of yogurt which have got huge yeah. amounts of of sugar in but because they've got fruit and yogurt on the front they think that yeah. you know that's a healthy lunch and when they hear how many spoons of sugar are in those you know it, they're really shocked so definitely food reformulation around you know and i think you know, i mean we learn to adapt to 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 the the tastes around us and i think that's particularly true of sugar so when processed food um it, it you know has got so much hidden sugar in it we all become used to yeah, the sweeter taste norm. yeah and that's one of the things you know thinking i mean thinking about um you know helping children develop healthy um, food preferences is that um, our tastes evolve on the basis of what's familiar. Yeah. And we also do regrettably have a, a sort of inbuilt preference for sweet foods. Yeah. And um, 
the only way to to move beyond that is to help children get used to a wide range of savoury tastes. And so if even savoury foods have got all of this hidden sugar in, it's so much harder for children then to enjoy fresh vegetables yeah. and food that's been made at home that hasn't um, been made palatable, which is what the food industry used to justify all the salt and sugar and fat that's in that's in those ready meals. So, yeah, I think all of that makes a huge difference. And I think, you know, what's inspiring about Amsterdam is that as a city, they are working to make a healthy choice, the easy choice. Yeah. And, you know, that is is definitely what, you know, we're, we're um, working towards with other organisations. Kim, I've got to say what Amsterdam is doing, what you and Henry are doing here in the UK and also helping others around the world is absolutely incredible. It does give that rare glimpse of optimism and hope that we can you know, do something about this childhood obesity epidemic that is that is causing so many problems here and around the world. So I just, I really want to thank you for, for taking the time to actually do this work and be involved with arguably the most important issue facing us. There's a lot to be optimistic about for people listening. Have you got, can you leave them with any top tips? There's lots of parents listening. There's lots of healthcare professionals listening. If they want to make a difference with childhood obesity, if they want to make a difference with, you know, family health, improving mm. family health, mm. have you got any top tips for them at all? Going back to what I talked about earlier, what helps us change? Think about the bright spots, what's going well and build on that. So, you know, think about what you enjoy eating. You know, what's a favourite family meal? And and then, you know, perhaps have a look at the Eat Well Guide that shows shows what a healthy, balanced meal looks like. Have a look at that meal. You know, what you know, what what's already really healthy about it? Um, and then think about, well, what's a small change that you could you could make to make that healthier. So for if it's a spaghetti bolognese, you know, it, it's got the it's got the the carbs in it. It's got the it's got the meat for protein or the um, soya alternative. Could you make it a bit healthier by adding in some more vegetables, you know, maybe as well as the onions and tomatoes, a few carrots and broccoli. So it's, it's about really those small changes on top of what's already going well. And thinking about, you know, what you enjoy doing as a family and what works for you. So which is why I would say always start with a favorite family meal and think about, you know, how how could we just make a few tweaks here and there to make that more healthy because that's what we enjoy eating so that's got what's going to work for your family yeah. and um you know there's lots of tips and hints on the henry website including recipes and and ideas for for getting healthier as a family well that's brilliant and we will we will certainly uh, link to that in the show notes for this for this episode which is going to be drchastity.com forward slash henry everything that, uh, that that kim and i spoke about today is going to be there we're going to have links um some of the studies you mentioned i'll try and find the references for those and so people can link to them and read them and in fact the resources you sent me to read before this were incredible actually i don't know if any of them are available on the web for people to mm, read but yeah. i'd love to share that there's lots of healthcare professionals who listen to this podcast and actually for those healthcare professionals if any of them feel inspired and think you know what i'm trying to help with childhood obesity or i'm trying to help with family and, and children's health in my area but i need support is there a way that they can get involved with henry yeah i mean we we, we are always really keen to hear from areas um about you know inviting us in to work in partnership so do get in touch um info at henry.org 
www.ghostbusiness.org.uk um, and, and we'd love to have a conversation with you about, you know, how we can work together. Well, fantastic. I think you will be getting some emails after this podcast. Um, I certainly hope so. Kim, keep up the fantastic work that you and Henry are doing. And uh, maybe I can get you on at some point in the future to see where we're up to in a couple of that years. That would be wonderful. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. That concludes today's bonus episode of the Feel Better Live More podcast. What do you think of what Henry has done? Is it not absolutely incredible? And was there anything that you can take from that conversation and apply it into your own life? I love Kim's suggestions to start by building on what you are already doing well. I really think that one of the keys to Henry's success is their focus on compassion and empathy, something that I think is missing in a lot of the dialogue around health these days. If you want more information on Henry, you can visit the show notes page for this episode of the podcast, which is drchatterjee.com forward slash Henry. That's H-E-N-R-Y. Please do let myself and Henry know what you thought of today's episode on social media. It would really help to raise awareness of Henry's work if we can talk about this conversation. You can get in touch with Kim Roberts, the CEO of Henry, at the official social media handles of the charity Henry. They are at henry.healthyfamilies on Instagram and Facebook, and they are very active on Twitter at henryhealthy. Please do get in touch, and particularly on Twitter, use the hashtag FBLM when you can so that we can easily find your comments. Now look, Henry's approach deeply resonates with me as it is the exact same approach that I take with my patients, a 360 degree approach to look at all of the different factors that influence our health rather than simply focusing on one of them. You can read more about my overarching philosophy on health in my first book, The Four Pillar Plan, which has been a number one international bestseller all over the world. It is available in the USA and Canada with a different title, How to Make Disease Disappear. And you can pick it up in all the usual places in paperback, ebook, or as an audiobook, which I am narrating. If you enjoy my weekly podcasts, please do consider supporting them by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. You can also help me spread the word by taking a screenshot right now and sharing with your friends and family on your social media channels, or you could do it the good old-fashioned way and simply tell your friends and family about the show. If you know someone who you think this episode is especially applicable for, if you know a teacher, if you know families who are struggling with childhood obesity, please do let them know about this show and in particular this episode. I really think what Henry are doing is important and I would love to get their insights and information out to as many people as possible. Your support is very much appreciated. A big thank you to Richard Hughes for editing and Vidata Chatterjee for producing this week's podcast. That is it for today. I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back in one week's time with my latest episode. Remember, you are the architect of your own health. Making lifestyle changes always worth it because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you next time.